The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. gaming podcast that strives for the right balance of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. You can think of us as the Jesse and Dylan Faden of gaming podcasts. We're a proud member of the PSVG podcast network and thrilled to be part of the Dice Tower network as well. I'm one of your hosts, Kyle, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the guy who's able to successfully manage the passenger in his head to great advantages. Josh, how are you doing this evening? It's hot again. I'm hot. We just had such a nice streak of 60, 70 degree weather, and now all of a sudden it's super muggy and humid and uncomfortable. And it was supposed to rain today. It was going to be nice. <laughs> oh, it, it has been raining here for a week. That's too much. Probably. <laughs> I just want so. one day. <laughs> Which we hadn't gotten rain in a while. So it, this week or so of rain, and I think tomorrow is supposed to kind of be the last day of it. It's a nice respite, but very, very humid, huge swings and pressure, pressure differences. So if you're someone who has bad allergies or has something mm. that's affected by weather, headaches, things like that, it's been rough the last week or so. But, hey, we needed the rain, so that's good. Yes, yes. Uh, and also, I'm definitely the Dylan of our group. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not the Jesse in our group. Well, unfortunately, we don't get to talk about control too much tonight, but we will be able to next week, which is very exciting. Yeah. Is it getting warm in this time of the year typical for your neck of the woods? Do you have a little warmth spurt again before it tends to roll into fall completely? Yeah, I would say like two weeks ago, we started cooling off and that's that's abnormal. Mm -hmm. Like usually it's still hot. In fact, we're still pretty warm into... Well, recently, <laughs> I'm not sure why, but recently we've been pretty warm through Thanksgiving. Um, but, uh, and that's very uncommon, but I, I remember being outside having drinks in a backyard on Thanksgiving. Like, that's not very common for us. Right. So I thought we were kind of going back to normal with the, you know, the end of August beginning of september getting cool which i'm fine with like i really enjoy fall but uh it looks like we're going to be muggy for a few more days and we might get back into the 80s and upper 80s which is insane to me that we have to do this heart rate monitor spike like i'd prefer <laughs> steady <laughs> heartbeat instead of this jostle into fall like hey, wake up i, <laughs> I understand that i understand that we've had the same uh our run into thanksgiving and the winter holidays has been quite warm the last couple of years uh definitely i do remember the last couple of thanksgivings um we typically spend them out at home because my wife's on duty for work so we don't travel and you know we're walking our dogs in shorts and t-shirts <laughs> on thanksgiving because it's been so nice uh, and even really last winter, even though January to April was really lot rough, through like 
New Year's. It was it was great. Yeah. It wasn't bad at all. Yep. And then January rolled around in Hoofda. And according to the Farmer's Almanac, <laughs> that's what's supposed to be like this year as well. It's supposed to be a very rough winter. So we'll see what happens. Great. <laughs> but you know what, Josh? These are all the conversations that would probably be good on Board With Everything, which we announced last week, our new show. And we're going to give you a little bit more of a preview of that later. But we have a ton of regular stuff to get through in the show this week. So we are going to go ahead and get rolling. So thanks so much for joining us, everyone. As always, if you have any feedback, questions, suggested topics, hit us up at Board with VG on Twitter or check out all of the posts over on Instagram, also Board with VG. We are a proud part of the Play Some Video Games Network, and PSVG is on Patreon. We're absolutely thrilled with the support you have given us there thus far, and if you'd like to monetarily support what we do, you can find us there at patreon.com slash PSVG. But the most important thing to us is just that you listen and maybe share our podcast with someone who you think might enjoy it as well. Finally, we're also a member of the Dice Tower Podcast Network, so if you enjoy our conversations about board games and would like to dive deeper into that world, we encourage you to check out the Dice Tower Podcast as well as all the other members of the network. No matter what type of board games you enjoy, there's a podcast on the network that's right for you. So enough of all this housekeeping stuff. Josh, what has been some of the big news in the tabletop world for the last couple of weeks? All right, so this can be a quick hit. We talked about it last week because we got an email about it. Uh, if you stick around to the end of the show, uh, I don't know how many people do. <laughs> it was a long show last week, yeah. Uh, but uh, we got an email from Schpleg, I believe. That's correct, right? That sounds no. right, yeah. Paul? Or was it Paul? It was Paul. It was probably Paul or Blake. <laughs> no, it was One Paul. of the two. Um, okay. So we got an email from Paul, and it was in regards to Hasbro buying Death Row Records. And technically, they bought Entertainment One, which is a record label who also owned Death Row Records. Um, yeah. So they made this record label made more than $30 million in the first quarter of 2019. So... They bought a very successful record label <laughs> in Entertainment One. Right. Uh, which they're not technically the record label. They're the, the company that owns the record label. So I should probably stop calling them a record label. Um, but Death Row Records is a record label. And, well, kind of. They're defunct. Well, they're, yeah. It's so confusing. They used to be, but they're under the umbrella of yeah, Entertainment, Entertainment One. One owns their catalog. <laughs> But they also so they own can... Peppa Pig and PJ Mask. Yeah. <laughs> very diverse holdings that they have there at Entertainment One. So it is very weird. Um, the question that was like proposed to us from Paul was like, when do we see a Snoop Dogg game? Um, when do we see... Well, let me ask you, Kyle. Do you think this is just a purely for profit business deal? Or do you think we're going to see some branding of rap board games coming out i think it's more of this was purchased because of like peppa the pig and things like that and so i think you'll probably see some kids games for sure from those types of properties but i think the fact that they happen to own the catalog of death row records does not mean we're going to be getting some snoop dog or tupac board games anytime soon now i think that would be interesting I don't know exactly what that would be like, but you could have even like a Snoop Dogg board game about him being a football coach, right? Because he's really big into coaching his son's football teams. I know that was a thing for a while. That might be kind of cool. So I think you could potentially do some stuff there, but I think more than anything, 
this is just an odd coincidence and kind of, I think kind of humorous that Death Row Records catalog is now owned by Hasbro. <laughs> it is maybe pretty funny. <laughs> maybe they're going to come out with a version of Monopoly that is about running a cannabis business. <laughs> well, yeah. They they're on the right track, right? <laughs> it seems like that might be an option or CBD or something like that. Okay. Well, speaking of Hasbro, they've been on a roll recently. In have they ever in the upsetting board gamers industry? In fact, potentially even just insulting people industry. I think that's more of what it is right now. <laughs> uh, so we've had so far, we've had Monopoly Millennial Edition and Monopoly Socialism. Uh, the, the problem with these games. If you take them on face value, they seem to be very comical, right? Like a parody. Uh, but unfortunately, when you look a little deeper into these games, it's a lot less about parody and more about... Well, it's still parody uh, on its face, right? Um, but I mean, it, it is. It, it seems more like very pointed making fun of. Yeah, so it's it's more... It's more insulting parody than comical parody, I think. Is, right. Is at least right. the take I'm getting out of that. So, to be honest with you, I didn't really pay too much attention to these two because I thought they were kind of funny theming until just a few days ago, actually, <laughs> when we had a new announcement from Hasbro, which I thought was a joke, but it's not. Uh,. It is called Miss Monopoly. Let's make be clear, it's not Mrs. Monopoly, because that would be sexist, right? <laughs> Implying she has a husband uh, and took Monopoly as the last name. It is uh, described as by Hasbro. Mr. Monopoly's niece, a self-made investment guru, is here to celebrate women trailblazers and, and update a few things. It's about time. So, <laughs> the internet has seemingly set ablaze uh, from this version of Monopoly. So we could go through the tweets. There's plenty of tweets out there, right? Plenty of hot takes. CNN covered it. Got a lot of like press from CNN. Uh, I want. I'm going to tell you what I think, and then I want mm-hmm. you to tell me what you think, and and see if we're on the same page. Or, Sounds great. Or not. Patronizing is the first word that came to mind when I when I read more about this game. So, you take the game Monopoly, a game that is already in my mind a game for equals. Everyone plays the game the same way as far as uh, how they start the game, how they play the game. It's up to you how you know in the, in the roll of the die how well you do, and if you can bargain. If you play the right way or the the Monopoly rules way with auctioning, things like that. This is a game that when you look at it, kind of like how I looked at Monopoly Socialism and for Millennials uh, as a like a new branding or a new way. uh, I didn't even necessarily think this was funny because even at work, I brought it up and they're like, hey, Miss Pac-Man's a better game than Pac-Man. Maybe this is better. That's a valid thought. Yeah. And then I read into it and I don't know that. Your message now. I don't know who 
design this, if it's a boardroom, if there are any women involved, what the age of the people, what the race of the people. I don't know that any of that necessarily matters, but this is a game that will exist, maybe, (laughs) uh, or does exist, where it seems patronizing to give women more money and men less money when we're in a society where women are asking for equal pay. Not more. Not more. They're not claiming like we're in a, we're living in this system where women aren't getting paid equal. You would think if you're going to focus your game on that, you would be fo- it would be a statement that your previous game was meeting that society standard where women weren't getting as much as men. And now right. they are. Now it's Miss Monopoly because she's finally getting paid the same as you. It's in my mind there's no reason for this game to exist except to rile up feathers in my head. Right. So what do I you I can see think? that. <laughs> I can definitely see that. I think this is a I think this is one of those situations where there's many things that are true about it all at the same time. Even those those things are very conflicting. Number one, I, I do agree. I get the idea they were going for, and they've even said that the idea of women uh, players getting more money when passing go was for them to, in some small way, I guess, experience the advantage that men have had. That's crazy. Uh, you know, right? Okay. <laughs> I, I Sure. I, I don't know that that's the best way to deliver that message, but okay. <laughs> Whatever. As a guy talking about it, take my opinion on this however you want to. But I don't know that's the best way to deliver that message, number one. But number two, yes, it's a marketing campaign. I get it. But the video that goes along with why they created this with the three girls and Hasbro giving these girl, young girl inventors over $20,000 each to put back into the inventions that they're working on. Like, that's cool. That's kind of putting money where your mouth is. I get that it's a marketing gimmick. I 100% understand that. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that the girls still aren't getting the advantage of getting that money so that they can work on what are very cool projects that they're working on, very cool inventions that they're trying to do. So part of me says, okay, this game, I don't know how popular it's going to be. Clearly, there is a lot of uh, commentary culture happening about it, which, so it's going to have some legs no matter what because of that. But I think the aspect that they at least are, are trying to do some things is is interesting. Sure. Good, I guess I would say. It's good that they are supporting, you know, those three teenage girls in their, in their venture to create or invent these products that will help the world. That's great. Then you combine it with the fact that, you know, this is kind of, this came up last year, I think, maybe this year, earlier this year. I can't remember exactly when, but... Uh, the conversation about all these editions of Monopoly coming out and then a historian, I think it was Nick Poor, the historian, was the first person, I think, to talk about this. If that's wrong, I apologize, about kind of bringing to light the fact that, you know, Monopoly was originally a game called The Landlord's Game that was designed by uh, a woman, Lizzie McGee. Yeah. Um, and it was really focused on... Um, kind of as a way to tear down capitalism and the rent and how rent worked and how it took advantage of people and all of that. And then that idea was basically taken, um, stolen, if you would, by a male capitalist who took the game, made it more focused on quote-unquote capitalism, and 
you know, printed Monopoly as we know it now. And then I think it had been Parker Brothers at the time bought the patent or the copyright, if you would, to Lizzie's game for like $500 or something like that, yeah. which was kind of a lot of money in like the 19 teens or whatever it was, but is obviously nowhere near the billions of dollars <laughs> Hasbro makes a year these days now that they bought Parker Brothers and things like that. So it's just this interesting layering of thing is that is this, you know, Hasbro trying to right the wrongs of the past in some small way. I don't know that, that they're exactly fixing that. But they really seem to be creating versions of Monopoly that I don't know what their goal is. Like, what are they trying to do? Who's sitting in those boards and saying, this seems like a good idea. But you know what? We're talking about it. Oh, yeah. Social media was talking about it. A lot of people were talking about it. If you go try to buy Monopoly Socialism right now, it's super expensive on eBay. Way more than the 20 bucks the game is, is supposed to be. So, it you know, it definitely... They're, they're doing some stuff. I don't think they're doing a lot of perfect stuff. <laughs> but they're they're definitely getting us to talk about them. And I'll be interested. This really makes me wonder what's next. <clears throat> what's the next Monopoly game going to be? Uh, hopefully they start punching up a little bit instead of punching down. But we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, it certainly is interesting. Well, let's move on to something I'm actually excited about. <laughs> okay. Sounds great. Okay. So we actually we have two new... Uh, Ticket to Ride map packs, map packs, <laughs> that's too much video game talk, uh, map collections or volumes, if you will, uh, being released <clears throat> in the next, well, by January. So we have uh, Italy, which looks awesome, and Japan, which looks equally, if not awesomer. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know how I like to. Uh, make up my own words. Um, the maps just look great. Uh, it's more Ticket to Ride. I'm a big fan of changing up the maps instead of like, there's a few maps out there that look pretty similar uh, in style. Uh, they're not breaking the rule um, set, like kind of like Europe does. It's not adding uh, necessarily any new features, but I believe Japan has... I think Japan has bullet trains. Bullet train, yeah, thank you, bullet trains. And I think Italy has ferries. Yes. Uh, which is really cool. Uh, there's, yeah, there's hills and valleys in Italy, um, archipelagos in Japan. Uh, even the, the Japan map is pretty cool because they couldn't fit, like, they didn't fit, like, the whole island and the whole board. So they put segments, the bottom and the top, um, up in a corner of the, of the map, so... Uh, it definitely has a different look and feel to it, and and even the because the the, the island of Japan is so big, the score marker on the board doesn't uh, traverse the whole outside of the board. There's gaps for more of the country to be in there, which I think is cool. They're they're mixing up the way that the boards look, so it's not just the same old board with a different like set of trains to put in the middle. So I think yeah. it's pretty smart. Is this something you're interested in and? Um, do you know if you have any, how many expansions you have for Ticket to Ride? I th- yeah, so I have a number of them, definitely. I think, oh goodness. I, I Well, starting with, yes, I'm interested in this. Definitely interested. Ticket to Ride is a game that still gets played very regularly at, me, at my house. Um, I believe when it comes to map collections, I have Asia, 
India, Africa, and UK, I think. Yeah. So I don't think I have Netherlands and France. Are those the other two? Yeah, Nordic countries and France, I think, yeah. Yeah, so those are the ones I do not have. Um, and but I'm definitely interested in this. Like I said, always up for more. Um, Ticket to Ride, always happy to play it more. And I think right, if you buy the box, is technically labeled as Japan, but you get Japan and Italy in the box, correct? Oh, maybe they come together. That might be what I thought they were separately, but they might come together. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the quote unquote Japan expansion, but I think it also comes with the Italy map in it. I think. Okay. Because they often do that where they'll pair two countries together or two maps together into a box that don't always make a ton of sense. But I think these two come together. Yeah, the, the backside is Italy. Yeah, you're right. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, yeah, but no, I'm definitely down for it. Are you down for more tickets to ride? Yeah, I think it, I mean, it's just nice to, to refresh and bring it back to the table, I think, which is nice. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, which I'm glad I held on because I bought the 10th anniversary edition. Um, but I'm glad I held on to the base game because this is something I would use with the base game instead of the anniversary collection. Right, for sure. Okay, next up, we have another popular movie IP making its way to board games. And I found out uh, my wife has never seen this movie, which is really very surprising to me. Uh, and that movie is Coraline, and the game is Coraline. Beware the other mother, and it's from Wiz- Wizkid Games. I don't know too much about it. I know it's a cooperative game. Uh, it's one to four players, and I would say the production value is average. It has like standees for tokens mm-hmm. and and rooms that you traverse through, and and uh, you know it's it looks like a, potentially a deck building game, but I'm not too sure what the whole game is going to be about but we'll know when it releases in december yep for sure and i think part of the decision to go with standees and things like that is i'm assuming it's going to be more of a lighter weight game i think the retail price is 20 bucks so it's definitely going to to save some money and hopefully have um parents potentially i think play with families and, and things like that so uh, if you haven't seen the Coraline movie, it's on Netflix. You should watch it. It's yes. based on the book by Neil Gaiman, but I picked to say it was based off the movie because they're using the movie art. Yeah. So, yep. And it is a twenty dollars game. Yep. So definitely, I think looking at taking a look at, and if you haven't seen the movie, I definitely recommend the movie. It's very good. I think at least. Yes, I love Car- I love Coraline. It's a great movie. Uh, visually stunning. Uh, very much like reminiscent of like Tim Burton. Ask mm-hmm. films. Absolutely. Cool. Next up is a game that I am currently backing on Kickstarter. It is called Half Truth. We talked about this oh, briefly. Yeah, really briefly. The other week. Uh, it is a trivia game being made by Ken Jennings, the current, I believe, still reigning winning champion on Jeopardy, mm-hmm. and Richard Garfield, the current reigning winning champion of board games. right (laughs) yeah uh it's it's a a very cool premise it is currently on uh we have eight days to go so when you hear this there'll be six days to go seven seven days to go you can get the game the basic game for 30 bucks which is a great price 
Uh, you can up that 15 more bucks and you actually get a play mat with the game, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And it's getting, I would say, very good reviews. Kyle, you know more about the premise of the game if you want to tell people about it, the premise, the way the game works, and and then uh, let me know if you're getting this game. Yeah, so the premise of the game is pretty straightforward. You have a, a question, if you would, um, and the, there are six answers provided with the question, and half of the answers are correct, and half of the answers are incorrect. And your goal is if you you get the most, if you just answer one one get one answer right, you get points, right? And so it's kind of oh, if you can eliminate a few and make a good guess, even if you don't fully know the answer, is trying to in, in, not make the game so intimidating like a Trivial Pursuit where there's no clue given, right? So if you get one right, perfect, you get points. If you get two right, you get even more points, and if you get three rights, you get even more. But if you get any wrong you don't get any points at all. So really the goal is to reward people for being able to get one right, and then it's kind of that push-your-luck aspect if you want to get more right or attempt to get more right. Um, And I think it's just a really cool premise and a really different take um, on a trivia game. And for me, I have it as reminded right now. I I haven't backed it simply because I've spent, even though this game is $30, between... Uh, Sleeping Gods and and uh, Tapestry and some other games. I've spent a lot of money on board games in the last mm. three weeks or so. Um, so it is reminded. We'll see. I might. It'll be a last second decision as to whether I get it or not. But um, this is a trivia game that I think is going to be a little more accessible to play with friends, family, just random people who come over. Uh, I think this is going to be kind of in that wits and wagers style, um, a a more accessible party game for a lot of people, which I think is really nice. Very cool. Very cool. So speaking of games, speaking of yellow September, we have two new games coming out from yellow. Well, I would say one and a half. Yeah. One and a half new games coming out this September. So this month, yellow is releasing Ninja Academy, which is designed by Anton Baza. Um, and then other people whose names I would totally butcher. <laughs> I'll try them. Quarantine Lebrat, Lebra, Lebrat, Ludovic Malblanc, and Theo, there's so many accents, <laughs> Rivieri. <laughs> and I'm sorry to those people. I'm probably to Antoine Bowser. I'm probably saying his name wrong too. <laughs> no, that's right. I can verify Antoine Bowser. <laughs> Uh, the game pits uh, the game. Uh, it's three to five players against one another, um, in a bunch of dexterity challenges, which is a cool idea. Uh, I'm becoming a bigger and bigger fan of dexterity games. Um, the challenges are all decided at random, and they alternate between rounds um, for the group that are playing, or if it's uh, sometimes it can be a duel between two players, which sounds like a pretty cool premise. And, uh, yeah, it's basically, <laughs> the way I read it, it's like Mario Party, but for mm-hmm. ninjas. Yeah, and it kind of seems that way. And it's a physical board game. <laughs> so it seems pretty cool. And then the next game is actually an expansion for 8-Bit Box, which we will be reviewing uh, this month at some point. And it's called Double Rumble. It's basically like their take on uh, Double Dragon or uh, Fatal F- uh, F- Final Fight or... Mm-hmm. Any of those games like that. 
Uh, you can play solo or cooperative with a friend. And basically, you're literally taking on waves of bad guys coming from the left or the right side of the board. Uh, it seems pretty cool. I'm excited to try it. I really want to get a bit box to the table to really to see if it captures like what it's trying to do, like the old school Nintendo Atari days in a in a physical board game. Right. Uh, so for you, do do any of these speak to you? Uh, both, neither, either. I'm always interested anytime Antoine Bowser's name is attached to the game. And listener, if you're not familiar, Antoine Bowser has is a designer behind things like Seven Wonders, Seven Wonders Duel, Ghost Stories, Takenoko, Hanabi, Takedo, I think Oceanos. Um, so he he makes some pretty great games. So anytime his name is attached, I am definitely interested. I obviously don't have Eight Bit Box though. That game sounds very cool. The um, Double Rumble, you know, sounds like neat. Uh, Ninja Academy, though, is something I, I would definitely be interested in. I hate, as we've talked about before, anytime a game is three to five players, yeah. it always makes it a little <laughs> more challenging. Uh, but I'm definitely, I think I think Ninja Academy sounds like just a lot of fun to play. Um, and as a result, I'm definitely interested in giving it a whirl. Cool. Well... Assuming we get our reviews done for Yellow, maybe we will get to play those. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, Last but not certainly not least, something I am extremely excited for and know almost nothing about is the Fox in the Forest duet. Uh, Which is great because if you listen to this podcast, you know how much of a fan I am of Fox in the Forest. Uh, It's still my go-to travel game and... My go-to two-player game if we have time, uh, or not a lot of time, I should say. So basically, Fox in the Forest is a trick-taking competitive game. Fox in the Forest Duet is now being billed as the cooperative version of said game, which is great. I don't know how a trick-taking cooperative game is going to work. I know, and I'm super interested about that. Uh, Basically... Uh, described by Renegade Games, both players will attempt to move through the forest by playing tricks and collect all the gems to win the game, while avoiding getting lost along their journey. You have special abilities um, to help each other out. You can pre-order it now. It's not coming out until January, but I know I'll be able to play this at PAX Unplugged, so I'm very excited for that. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the second that I saw this, I was like, Maybe Kyle's wife will like this game and Kyle will be able to play Fox in the Forest. This will be the only version of Fox <laughs> in the Forest I might be able to play. Yeah. Uh, I'll definitely take a look at it for sure. I think once I say it's going to be cooperative. To <laughs> that's fine. I'll take it. Uh, I don't know that the partner is super into trick-taking games as a whole. Yeah. So, But the fact that it's cooperative makes it a possibility. Um, yeah, definitely interested in it. I think it's kind of a cool take. I'm, like you said, very interested to see what a co-op trick-taking game is going to be. Maybe there are others. I can't think of one off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, but I'm definitely interested to see how this plays out for sure. Unless it's like, I don't know if they somehow make, like you can play teams Mm -hmm. in a lot of trick-taking games. So maybe they somehow make that work. I, I don't know. Right. I'm very interested to see, um how they do this uh indeed but on that that is all of the lots of board game news 
Awesome. So we are going to transition then and go to a little bit of uh, video game news, I guess would be the time to what we'll call it. Yeah. And yeah, so the first thing we're going to talk a little bit about is Capcom has slightly revealed Project Resistance, Mm. a new entry into the Resident Evil franchise. And there is breaking kind of information while we're recording this podcast. That's why I had a really bad intro. I apologize. Um, about this game that was just kind of revealed because Tokyo Game Show is going on right now. So, Project Resistance, this was something that uh, a teaser was posted by Capcom. Some data miners were able to find because apparently the only way to post YouTube videos these days is to post them way <laughs> early and, and have them hit quote-unquote hidden. Uh, so, people were able to get some screen grabs of, of the video. And right away, we're like, oh, this looks like a four-player or a co-op type of um of game and the the trailer was revealed and yep that's definitely what it seems to be but now comes the news excuse me it is a 4v1 asymmetrical pvp game where four players work together to escape the clutches of a player controlled mastermind so these 4v1 or these asymmetrical multiplayer games kind of never seem to go away we get a a couple and then they kind of we don't hear anything about them then we get a couple more and we don't hear about them and we're kind of back in the couple more section again here Uh so josh are you excited or interested (laughs) in project resistance uh where does this sit for you as far as you know asymmetrical games is that something you enjoy what are your thoughts all right so there's it's so tricky right i I think the theme gives it a bonus maybe more people mm-hmm. will play this game but the game has to be good i don't care <laughs> if it's a resident evil game i don't care if it's evolve um that game that was on xbox the darwin um experience the, where, uh, or whatever yeah, it was where darwin project darwin project where one person was the map like the map maker and everyone else is fighting in it well and then there was the fable game too and right? the fable, fable game the, the premise of these games is great. It always makes me wonder why there isn't a Hunger Games game because right. they're all trying to emulate the Hunger Games. And why wouldn't you just want to play the Hunger Games and do this? So maybe they have licensing issues. Maybe they can't make it. Maybe they never tried. Who knows? But the when the second I saw this trailer, <clears throat> sorry, it really hit Left for Dead vibes for me, which I was really thrilled about. And mm-hmm. and. I'm not claiming credit to guessing this, but I immediately said, I, I'm wondering if it's four players versus a person dropping bad guys. Right. Which it, it kind apparently of is now. To, yeah. So, yeah, right before we jumped on our Skype call, like I saw a link posted on, I think, GameSpot saying it was going to be like g- gameplay, like show floor gameplay rundown. It's 4v1 instead of what we thought. Right. I didn't get to watch the video. I don't know if it was right. like video or just people talking about the game, but yeah, it could it could work. It really everything depends on how they implement the architect role. Everything depends right. on that. Because do you want to play an hour and a half long game where you're doing nothing but dropping bad guys? If it's not right. sucking you in there's no reason for you to do that. So then do you start playing games and you don't get a choice what role you pick because they have to put someone in that role and no one wants right. it? So it, it depends on how that works out. 
if they capture the Left 4 Dead combat, they got it. That's great. That part of the game will be awesome. It really just hinges on this one role and if it will be successful. I think Evolve was the opposite. They made it too hard to kill the monster in Evolve, and people just lost interest in playing that game. Mm-hmm. So, and then in Darwin, you could never get the architect job. It was always there was always a queue that was like right. hours long, and you're like, why would I ever wait in this? I'm not going to play this game. <laughs> so, right. I'm interested to see where it goes. It really felt, I don't know, it, it has this weird Metal Gear Survive like vibe going on for me so i hope it's not like that but who knows i don't right. I don't know what do you think about this so really briefly from the folks over at ign um it says this is just some more information about the game uh the four player characters are controlled in third person and each one has a unique ability uh valerie is a support character who can heal others january is a hacker who can disable security cameras and impede the mastermind tyrone is a tank who can knock enemies down with a powerful kick and samuel is an attacker who can land a barrage of punches on the enemies. Uh, the mastermind is the fifth player controls a series of security cameras that overlook the level and can summon traps and zombies. And eventually the mastermind can summon a Mr. X tyrant and control him. Um, and that person then would go into third person and they have punches to grabs and tackles, but the mastermind is only controllable or the tyrant's only controllable for a limited amount of time. So, I think this has the makings of being potentially cool, but like you said, balance is always so hard in these games. What do you, how are things going to be? Are all the roles going to be fun to play? Yeah. I think the thing that this does, and also what I think that the uh, Predator game that's coming out next year does, yeah. that I think might make this potentially quote unquote better, is that there is stuff to do. When you're not fighting the big bad, right? Like, obviously, this person is putting in traps and monsters. So you're occupied, and then every once in a while, they take the the role of this tyrant that you have to fight. Um, I think that makes the game a lot more enjoyable and engaging, that you're doing this stuff all the time. Whereas, like, in Friday the 13th, it's just like, yeah, I gotta go find a thing, but it's get away, get away, get yeah. away, get away, get away. That's, yeah. like, all you're doing, you know? Um, so hopefully this will be good. I, I'm interested to see what it is. The Resident Evil spinoffs haven't always gone super great. <laughs> um, would you have preferred that this announcement be Resident Evil 8 or Resident Evil 3 Remastered? No, no, I'm not in any rush for those. Okay. Like, they can take their time on those things. This just seems like a side project that someone probably pitched at a meeting and they're like, yeah, we could do that. Because like, yeah. if you look at how successful Dead by Daylight is right now, which is a game that people didn't even know was successful until right. they announced like this whole new season. And people are like, wait a second, Dead by Daylight's in season three? And they're adding right. an Ash from Evil Dead's in there, and they're adding Scream, and they're adding Stranger Things. Right. Like, So I think people are just kind of seeing that as a viable... Because like, that was a game that was done this way that was put out correctly like Friday the yeah. 13th was broken and you couldn't even play it on yeah. Xbox for six months that's unacceptable <laughs> yeah so yeah so if they can capture that spirit and it's a familiar license like I hope it's good right no for sure uh but yeah so that like I said more information will be coming soon and coming out maybe you, even by the time you listen to this you might know more about it than we do right now 
Uh, but yeah, definitely interested to see kind of where this Project Resistance goes. And really, Capcom's been doing pretty well overall as of late. So I'm willing to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here. Uh, next on the news docket, there was a Nintendo Direct. And while we're not going to talk about the entire thing, there's an excellent episode of the Nintendo Shack that goes in depth on all of this stuff. Josh, was there a highlight or two for you from the recent Nintendo Direct? What got you most excited? Just one or two things. Well, there was a highlight. Okay. But I want to do something, and I want you to tell me what you hear when I say this. I'm going to just rifle through a list of games. Okay. Assassin's Creed Rebel Collection. Star Wars Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast. Tetris 99. Doom 64. Divinity Original Sin 2. Deadly Premonition. Deadly Premonition 2. I could go on. I, I hear a lot of old games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are two things that really caught my attention on this direct, but nothing caught my attention more than my biggest complaint about the Switch. No, Deadly Premonition <laughs> 2 is not old, is it? I have no clue. It probably could be. I think, could I be. think, Deadly, Pre- <laughs> I think Deadly Premonition 2 is, is new, new right? coming out yeah. next year. Yeah. Uh, uh, like, I, I don't want to be overly critical of the Switch, right? Like, I am happy that people are playing some of these games that are very good for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the two things I enjoyed is an old game. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't intentionally want to sound like a hypocrite, but we also saw Devil May Cry 2. <laughs> Come on. Why are you hating on Devil Why are you hating on Devil May people Cry 2? People were excited about Turok and Turok 2 coming out. They look terrible. Why are people spending <laughs> money on these games? So, Jedi Knight 2 looks awful. Uh, they might as well put Dark Forces on here while they're at it because those games do not run well anymore. Uh, but if I'm going to talk about what I'm excited about, even though I have an SNES Classic that is modified, I am excited that they're adding SNES games on the Switch for mm-hmm. on the, for Nintendo Online. Um, I think that's great. I think it makes these games more accessible. I think it's weird that they're doing it because they can keep capitalizing on the retro gaming console market just by putting more SNES classics out there. And, like, you know, Nintendo makes money. That's what they do. So uh, it is. I think it's an interesting choice, but I'm glad to see the games coming out. Mm-hmm. I think it is interesting that that they like stealth revealed that they're not going to release games on a monthly basis anymore, and nobody really knows that. Well, I mean, they said that, and then and we're like, "Hey, here's a whole bunch of really yeah, cool games tomorrow." Yeah, 20, 20 games, and then we're not doing I mean, games monthly anymore. Uh, so, so which is fine. Like, I'm also not complaining, but for people who might be paying monthly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Nintendo Switch Online and not realizing they're not getting those monthly free games anymore. That could be a bummer. Right. Yeah, I can see that. And Overwatch for Switch. I think that's freaking cool. Uh, I think it's great. I don't know how you feel about the specs they released about running in handhelds and dots. I think those are kind of low. And I I remember Mm -hmm. when they announced this, someone was like, there's no way this game runs under 60 frames per second. And like hours later, they were like, yeah, <laughs> about that. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it runs um, and how many people jump on this. I'm assuming you're going to be playing this because it's Overwatch. 
and I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm not going to because I think it'll be nice to play this with you and some Switch people who mm-hmm. are normally just playing Splatoon. Like right. I think it'll be cool to see their experience with this after like trying Paladins and seeing what like a real, right. like what a successful uh, MMO we'll call it an MMO <laughs> plays oh, like man. Uh, but yeah, why don't you talk to me a little bit about, well, talk to me about Overwatch and then talk to me about uh, what you thought about the Switch Direct. Yeah, so Overwatch obviously was the highlight for me, speaking of people being excited about old games coming to Switch. <laughs> I'm stoked. Uh, I do think the 30 frames per second is a little disappointing. Um, back in the day when Blizzard and Jeff Kaplan were being asked about Overwatch on Switch, uh, they they seem to be pretty cagey about it, and they seem to imply that it would never... Initially, they implied that it would never work because the game couldn't run at 60 and then they backed off that a little bit when asked for and said, well, you know, nothing's impossible. Um, and I'm pretty sure Iron Galaxy is doing the port of this, so it's not Blizzard in-house handling this. But the 30 frames does worry me a touch. But, I mean, it is what it is. I'm still going to play it. I'm still going to give it a whirl. I don't know that this will obviously in any way be my main platform for playing this game. I, I will still definitely go back to console, and I know folks have... Asked about cross-console, at least cross-console play. You know, I think playing with PC would be a mistake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that wouldn't go very well, but I think cross-console play would probably be okay. Uh, but it, it's interesting because to give you a picture or a window into um, playing Overwatch on the console, maybe it's just my Overwatch group, but anytime we play someone who's really good, right away, they're like, oh, that person's clearly playing mouse and keyboard. <laughs> and... I can't imagine how much worse that's going to get if you're playing that game at 30 frames per second. Like, I, if they win cross-console. Uh, but or, but as is, I'm excited for it. I'll definitely play it. I know Donnie and I have already talked about, you know, potentially doing some streams together so I can kind of walk him through the basics of Overwatch. But uh, having it open to more players, uh, I think, is great. And also having it the opportunity that since, um, and I talked about this on the Nintendo Shack very briefly, I recorded a bit for them. Uh, the fact that, you know, Overwatch League next year is fully realizing their location-based teams. So all teams next year are playing home games. So like the Dallas Fuel, for instance, has five home stands. And when they're not at home, they're traveling to China and London and all this stuff to play their other games. So, you know, the Atlanta Reign, Donnie's own home team, is in the playoffs right now. And they will have homestand games where people can come. And it'd be super cool if they just had wireless so people could be playing, you know, Overwatch on Switch while they were waiting for matches to start. So I think there are some cool things they could potentially do here. It's definitely the highlight of the Direct for me just because I'm such a huge fan of it. And anytime it, more people get exposed to Overwatch, I'm happy. So I'm down for it. I think it's cool. I think for me, the other um, big... Highlight, obviously I'm excited about Luigi's Mansion, we've talked about that, but the other big um, highlight for me is the remaster of Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp FE, uh, which I believe is Sharp FE Encore is what they're calling it. Uh, I'm a fan of the Persona games, and this kind of takes Shin, the Shin Megami Tensei series and crosses it with Fire Emblem, which is why I'm a little worried, because I'm not <laughs> usually into that type of game. But I really do enjoy the relationship building and all of the aspects of life that live and the musical stylings um, that fit in the, whether it be Shin Megami Tensei or into Persona. Um, and this is just a game that I never played because I didn't have a Wii U. So I am interested in this game for certain. 
Um, I, it, it's coming out in a very loaded 2020, which is a little worrisome for me. Um, but that I think for me was the thing I was most excited about outside of things we didn't already know about, um, was, it was having an opportunity to potentially play this game. Cause it was something I was always interested in, um, but never a game I was quite obviously able to jump into. So that was kind of my highlights from the director overwatching that. Uh, but if, like I said, dear listener, if you want to get a good rundown, I encourage you to listen to the Nintendo shack episode, not the one with Parrish Schneider, though you should listen to that one too, because that was pretty awesome that Parrish Schneider, founder of IGN, was on. Um, but they did an episode all about the Nintendo Direct. Moving on, uh, Josh, we've been playing some Gears 5 on occasion. We have? We <laughs> On occasion. But uh, Gears 5, though, uh, on the positive light, on the positive side, is getting some uh, good positive press for accessibility, not only for... Um, when you load up the game, there's information about right away that if you're playing using the adaptive controller, hit this button to, to set everything up. Um, but also, especially for the deaf and hard of hearing folks, there's a lot of things that they've done with um, how closed captioning is done in the game. You can adjust the text size for it. All of the buttons are fully remappable. They're just doing a lot of really good things as far as accessibility goes. And I think... It seems like this is going to be, I would guess, the first of many Xbox games to to really push um, ensuring everyone has the ability to play their games, which I think is really great. It's something that Xbox has been doing an excellent job of, of trying to ensure their games are available to people no matter, um, you know, how, you know, what, how, what level of dexterity you have, uh, you know, your ability to read things well or hear, like they're doing a great job of that. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Gears 5 really pushing the envelope in this department? I think it's great. I mean, in my opinion, it's probably the only good thing Gears 5 is doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I kid, kind of. Uh, yeah, I, the first thing I noticed, like once getting through the main opening, is that that adaptive controller on the bottom left-hand screen um it's always nice not a lot of games do it where you can adjust the subtitle size yeah uh which is nice um it's probably one of the few things that we've talked about so far today that i don't know that there's really any debate about anything except this is awesome that they're doing it and it's definitely a sign of at least what we're going to see in probably every first party Microsoft title from now to the future. Uh, it's It really shines in, uh, a great light on Microsoft and showing what they're doing for the disabled community and how they're including them in all their gaming. Because sometimes people just say, well, you know, unfortunately this thing isn't for a disabled person and, and they're trying to squash that, uh, which is great. I like to see that. And mm-hmm. more of that, please. Absolutely, I agree. I mean, everyone's cool with them patching Wolfenstein too to make it, or Wolfenstein, whatever the newest one is, to make it easier. But man, you patch those Dark Souls games. <laughs> let's patch, Ooh. let's patch Wolfenstein so people stop complaining that we made an impossible game to play. <laughs> yeah. All right. Moving on briefly here. So, uh, Yakuza Seven was officially revealed, and you know, it seems like there's a Yakuza game. Pretty much every other month, it seems like, because there's a lot of them. But I don't necessarily want to talk about the fact that Yakuza 7 was revealed. We knew it was coming. It's like I had said for a long time it was coming. 
The thing I want to talk about is when it was revealed, it was also revealed that they are completely changing the way this game plays. No longer is it going to be the brawler it has been for basically every iteration of the game. It is going to turn-based combat. Mm-hmm. And the internet, the Yakuza internet promptly burned down <laughs> when this was announced. Josh, we talk all the time about not wanting games to be the same. We want games to innovate. We want games to change. We want games to grow. And we'll talk about this much more, I think, when we talk about Gears 5 next week. But here's my question for you. Is this too drastic of a change? Should this have been Yakuza colon whatever spinoff? Or is this people getting exactly what they asked for and now aren't happy that they got it? Well, wasn't this like an actual like uh, April Fool's joke that someone It was. No, they... Sega themselves did it. Yeah, so... They knew what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, people say they want change until something changes. That's just right. how things work. They don't really want change. They just want to complain. And I mm-hmm. say they as a very in general blanket statement about the world. <laughs> I'm not singling any group of people out, any single person out. People in general, they want change until they realize it's not the change they specifically wanted. Just look at right. Game of Thrones. Uh, we're at Yakuza 7, okay? They can do whatever they want. They're at number 7. You can do whatever you want when you hit 7 of anything, okay? <laughs> if you want to change the way the game plays... I mean, imagine being a developer and you just develop six games that all play the same. Like, that's got to be boring. And I'm not saying that the Yakuza's all play the same because I'm not a Yakuza player. But... Why not mix it up? Why not change it up? And I'm, ass- I'm assuming when I say six Yakuza's, there's probably more spinoffs. So maybe it's like 12 Yakuza's. I don't know how many like weird offshoots of Yakuza they've done. Or if it's like Dynasty Warriors or it's like Yakuza 8, Orochi, Yakuza 8, Empire. It's like, I don't know what they've been doing, but <clears throat> I think it's good to mix it up. We just talked about pro- uh, Project... Uh, our existence. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen other Resident Evil spinoffs. It's just natural to happen, but but I can see like if it's like the main line of games, where it's like a direct right. sequel, maybe people could be upset by that. Right. But I think even Final Fantasy changed that up at one point. You know, mm-hmm. they're not they're not turn based anymore. I don't believe. I think mm-hmm. fourteen. Jeez, I don't even know the numbers anymore. Well, because 14 is the MMO. So 15 was, like, not turn-based? Nope, it was action. Right. So, like, games change. you got to give them credit for that. If the game is bad, then the game is bad. But that's that company, that's Sega willing to make that gamble. Right. So give it a shot. If you're a Yakuza fan, give it a shot. If it's terrible, I'm sorry. <laughs> but they tried. Yeah. <laughs> I think the Yakuza games are ridiculous fun. I have a great time with them. And I'm interested to see how this changed and, and what it does for the series. Because I think it could be kind of cool. So... I'm I'm interested. We'll see what happens. And you're right. It might not be great. And then if it's not, they can go back to what they did before. But I applaud them for trying something new. Let's see how it goes. So you can still hit people with bicycles. So I'm in. <laughs> yes, That's we need more, more risks in gaming. That's right. All right. Speaking of risks in gaming, <laughs> uh, or maybe not a risk. We'll, see. well, it depends, I guess. Uh, it sounds like Tilo 2, or The Last of Us Part 2, is having a media event on September 24th. And... 
heard some insiders who have said this is not the only PlayStation event of the month. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh, does that mean we're getting a more news on September 26th in the form of maybe a state of place in September 26th in uh, The Last of Us Laura's Outbreak Day? We've never really gotten a huge update on every, anything on Outbreak Day. Usually we get like a poster you can buy that's limited edition, maybe a cool hoodie, a uh, theme maybe for your PS4. But uh, are we going to get a, a state of play with some gameplay? Maybe a release date for The Last of Us 2? Are we setting our sights too high? What's happening? What's going on? Well, as a huge Mass Effect fan, I can tell you we never get anything on N7 Day. So I don't think you're getting anything <laughs> on Outbreak Day if you haven't in the past. Uh, well, like I said, we've gotten some stuff, but nothing super huge. Sure. I, I don't know. Do we have a release date yet? We don't. Okay. Not for the last so yeah, two. we'll get nope. we'll get a release date in September. That's my guess. I don't know that you'll get it on Outbreak Day. You might get it at Tokyo Game Show. Um, that's I, going on right now, so I don't think so yeah, that's happening. Well, it's it's barely just started. <laughs> yeah, the, but PlayStation doesn't have a presser or anything, so I don't think. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't know, Kyle. Like uh, The Last of Us Two, it seems like a game that's never going to come out to me. I know it is going to come out. But if we get if we get a PlayStation Direct this month, then yeah, mm-hmm. I say we get a release date. But if they're just this says it's closed to media, right? So like the twenty fourth event yeah, is yes. So maybe like do they only give the media two days notice and then they make them sign NDAs anyways? Like why not just all they- tell everybody on the twenty sixth? Like, why waste your money on an event and then reveal to the public two days later? So what the rumors are, we'll see if this is true, uh, is that they have to sign NDAs because supposedly media gets to go hands-on. So with the game, the media is going to be able to play the game on the 24th, that the reveal, if you would, is going to be the 26th. That will include gameplay and release date. And then, like, the following Monday, or maybe even on the 26th, um, press outlets will be able to post their previews from their hands-on experience. Well, I'll tell you what, the only thing I'm going to do is once we get new footage of Last of Us 2. You're going to check the animations, aren't uh-huh. you? <laughs> I'm going to pull up two monitors. I'm going to play the E3 demo against whatever they show us. And then uh-huh. that will decide if I go back and play Last of Us 1 to catch up to Last of Us 2. Because I'll tell you what, Kyle, if I watch yeah. those videos yeah. and they are not even remotely close I am going to be mad. <laughs> what if they are pretty darn close, but na- not all the way there? That's okay. I'm not going to okay. pull a digital foundry on them, but okay. <laughs> it, it can't be visibly like terribly different. Well, in Naughty Dog, I trust, I guess. So we'll see what happens. But I'm excited <laughs> for some Last of Us 2 news. I know Donnie's excited for Last of Us 2 news. So... We'll be will be interesting to see. I I really wonder. So the reason this came out is Jeff Keighley just tweeted, "Hey, look, I got this thing." I wonder if he was supposed to do that. <laughs> he can do whatever he wants now. Apparently, I don't think he can just do whatever he wants. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, that's right. Last of Us Two. Obviously, you know, I asked if we could get a Sony PR contact because that's what the thing said was to respond to your. You story. asked You're... me, not them. <laughs> Well, I just asked the internet in general. Do we have a PR contact? Can I just respond to anyone who works in PR and I can go? How does this work? It's got to be I'll a... I'll fly to you could have wherever I need Sony. to go. <laughs> yeah. 
I somehow I don't think they would answer. I could be wrong, but all right. That's it for the news. As we have promised, though, it is Yellow September, so each week this month we are going to talk very briefly, at least very briefly, maybe longer, about a game from the company Yellow that we have been playing, just to kind of highlight the games that they have, as well as some games they have sent us for review. We will obviously let you know any of the games that we were given for review, so if we say it, we got it. If we don't, it means it was our copy or our thing that we own. Josh, why don't you kick us off with a game to talk about? Let's do it. I own this game. It was not provided to us. It's called Arena for the Gods. Uh, And, well, it is essentially an arena combat game for the gods. You play gods in the game. Uh, They are from all different walks of mythology. So you have Cleopatra and you have... uh, Well, Cleopatra-like character. You have Zeus-like characters... All different walks of mythology. Uh, in the game, you... Well, so, I want to start with a disclaimer. So, we play two-player. This game is two to five players. However, mm-hmm. this game is really not meant for two players. In fact, when you read the instructions, it says, we don't recommend you playing two-player for your first game. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's what we did because that's what was the options for us. So, when you play two-player, you have to play two gods each, uh, which can be a little complicated when you're doing arena combat. So imagine the board very much like what you imagine maybe a gladiator board game would look like. It's a gladiator arena. It comes with these cool towers you build. And at the back of the instruction booklet are a bunch of um, pre-set-up terrain or maps You set up towers to limit boundaries or to create obstacles. You also have um, spots that are like fountains of healing, and you also have traps. So the healing Mm -hmm. heals your gods, the traps damage your gods. And when you you pick your god, you pick a screen uh, that covers your health from all your other opponents. You start with 20 health. And then you do a drafting system not too dissimilar from like any other drafting game where you have four different types of cards and you pull out cards equal to the number of players. Mm -hmm. And then at the start of the game, uh, because we did two players, we decided to to alter the rules a little bit. Uh, The rules say you are um, secretly voting with life points on who gets to pick first from the items. We just decided to to take turns because it was our first game and we didn't want to lose life right away. Uh, And like the first thing you pull out are weapons. There was like a light sword, Poseidon's trident, um, uh, shoot, blanking on the other items. But you have all these like, besides the lightsaber, obviously, you have all these (laughs) uh, mythological weapons and they all have these um, uh, things that you... Uh, abilities and they also have cost to use them so after you do weapons you do i'm gonna mess up the order but you do mm-hmm. um, um, defense there's spells uh, and then there's there's something else i'm not remembering but basically each one of these items you build this deck for your character and your goal is to move around this arena and attack 
and defeat your enemies. So the problem we ran into with two players is it's really hard to focus on who you want to attack with which character and also remembering whose turn it is because you're alternating turns. Right. Um, But the way that this works is you roll seven dice at the start of your turn. They have different logos on them uh, that represent the different things you could do. Movement, attack, spells, and the thing I'm forgetting. Uh, It has a sun logo. Uh, And what these allow you to do is use your abilities uh, based on if you have enough dice to do those. So let's say Mm -hmm. I have a weapon that requires a sword and a shield. So you roll your dice, and then you can say, okay, I'm going to use the sword and shield to activate this attack ability. Typically, it'll say, attack a god uh, or an enemy in an adjacent space. So you Mm -hmm. do that. You deal them damage. They remove a life point to the pool of life points. Mm -hmm. You also have abilities where if you don't roll what your cards can do, two swords equal one attack, two shields equal um, something, two two feet, two movement equal one move, um, and then two of the sun uh, icons let you attack anyone on the board for one damage, no matter where they are. So like I would maybe maybe it's considered like a god power, a god attack. And you play until someone loses all of their life. And once someone loses all of their life, the game ends, and then the person with the most life at the end of the game wins. In mm-hmm. two players, you combine your life and the person with the most life wins. We my wife killed one of my characters and we li- we literally tied with how much life points we had left between my one person and her two people. <laughs> wow. Okay. And when you tie in this game, it's a shared victory. Mm, okay. Uh, so I gave it to her because she still had two gods. Right, alive. right, right. I felt really bad for her uh, because she like d- definitely earned it. So here's what I'll say about uh, Arena for the Gods. A very uh, unique style game. I haven't played an arena combat game before. I imagine the Spartacus game is similar to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the art on the cards is very cool. I'll post some pictures to Instagram tomorrow when this episode goes up. Mm-hmm. And if you're playing more than two people, I would say this is a, a good game to play and try. Uh, for two players, I, I can't say that I recommend it only because it took a long time to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, half of the Patriots game, so... <laughs> that is a long time. And it's, you know, it, it only says 30 minutes on the box, so we definitely, we easily doubled that. Right. And it came to a point where we were kind of just going through the motions to get through the game. Mm-hmm. But playing this, where you're focused on just your character, and you're trying to keep track of which other characters have been attacked by other people, who's gotten health, like who's your your biggest uh, opponent. I think that would be very fun and more exciting right. than playing a two players. Uh, so the, the, for mech, for mechanics, the game, this game has it. The mechanics are there. It's very, for me, new and interesting. Um, I liked pretty much everything about the game. And I, I pretty sure I picked it up on like a cool um um st- uh no sorry miniature market sale mm-hmm. during one of the holiday seasons where I got it for under twenty bucks or twenty bucks. 
And I think okay. for that price, uh, if you're into that mythology stuff and that like arena combat, it's definitely a, a fun game with three or more players. Gotcha. Very cool. Uh, I had the chance. Oh, and that was Arena for the Gods. Yes. Uh, I had the chance to play Raids. Uh, this was provided by Yellow to us as a review copy of a game. So thank you to Yellow for sending that out. Uh, Raids is a two to four player game uh, designed by Matthew Dunstan and Brett Gilbert. Uh, in it, before I get too much into how you play it, I, I do want to point something out because I always I often forget to do this when I'm reviewing games. The production quality of this game is very good. The art is great. The quality of the components is good. Um, and one thing that you don't see very often, or we don't comment about very often, the box insert for this game is spectacular. Nice. Everything has a home. Everything has a place that it goes. The game puts away perfectly. You know exactly what goes where. And it's done immaculately. This is a really, really good production value on this game from the quality of the box to the insert to everything that all of the production items in the game really really good so want to get that out of the way because i do think it's important especially for the price of this game i think you can get it for usually 35 dollars or so is really high production quality for the price that you're paying for this game um so in raids it is a like i said it's a two to four player game where you are taking control of a viking ship and guess what you are raiding islands Imagine that. <laughs> um, and maybe not islands, but you're raiding villages and things like that. So the easiest way I can explain this game, and I don't always like comparing games to other games, but it is very similar in many ways to Takedo. Okay. That when you're playing the game, you move around your... The game starts where players are docked with their longship at the port or the harbor. And then there's one direction you can move around the board. But when it's your turn you decide how far you're going to move. And along the way, you might pick up resources. You might have to fight a mythical monster. You might have ship combat with another player. But it's all in trying to get resources and get the items to maybe upgrade your ship, uh, to finish a quest to get points at the end of the game so you can win. That's kind of what your role is. And it's up to you, like I said, for the most part, how much you move. The catch to that is if you are the furthest player behind when it comes to your turn, you have to catch up to the next player and when you do that you have to remove all of the places in between so you don't necessarily get the benefits of potentially stopping at any of those in between places right and that just kind of keeps the game moving along because i think theoretically if you just went like spot to spot to spot to spot uh it might be it might work out pretty well for you um so it's a good way to keep that moving along and then once everyone gets back to harbor you reshuffle out new locations on the board switch what the harbor the harbor has um different benefits each round that if you get x number of things um or if you finish this round with the most number of this thing you get extra points um so that's random there's there's plenty of them in the game and you deal out um three in addition to the starting one uh because the game is played over four voyages uh, but that's just how the game works is that every turn or every time you go around you start out, move as much as you want, pick up resources along the way, fight monsters along the way, etc., etc. Like I said, it, it's very similar if you played a game like Takedo. Uh, it's going to feel pretty similar to that as you have multiple things that you can be trying to complete of sets, improving your ship, all that good stuff. We played it with two players. Um, the two-player version, there is a third-player automata requirement, kind of similar to uh, <laughs> your game. Uh, and I understand why it's there, for sure. I don't know that I absolutely love that. And I don't know 
that I would recommend this game with two people. I think if you played this game with three, or I think ideally four, that this game would play pretty well and be pretty fun. I think there'd be much more player interaction. Um, this is a pretty light game. It's pretty easy to teach. Um, I think it's good. I don't think it's great. Um, there's not a ton of decisions to make. There is a little bit of thought that goes into how far you move. Um, but I think, you know, I think the box recommends 10 and older. I think if you're looking for a maybe your slightly heavier family weight game, if you have some, you know, 10, 11, 12 year old kids, um, or you're looking to potentially get some folks into a little bit of an easier game to understand and pick up and play, raids might fit the bill there. I definitely think it would probably play best with four. Um, but like I said, production quality is super high, really easy to learn, um, just not maybe quite the level of decisions or complexity that can keep, make a game like this stick around often. I would definitely play it again. I would have no issues playing it again. I don't know that I would be necessarily the person who would suggest this game though and, and bring it out. Um, so good is what I would say. Overall rates, good time. Uh, I think for the right people, definitely it could be a great time. But overall, good. I, I enjoyed my time with it. Nice. Awesome. All right, so that is our games for Yellow September for this week. Uh, next week, I believe we've decided we're talking about Bunny Kingdom. I believe so. So, and then we're both going to be playing that. Josh has a review copy. I have a copy I own. So we'll see if that changes our thoughts on it. Uh, but we'll be talking about Bunny Kingdom next week. And with that, we're on to topic of the show. And last week we announced a new show called Bored with Everything which is going to be a show exclusive to the PSVG Patreon subscribers. And we decided that we're just going to give you a very short version of what that show will sound like. So you know what you might be getting should you decide to back us on Patreon, or if you already are, thank you. You'll have an idea of what you're going to be getting. Uh, the, first full show is being recorded, the first full show is being recorded later this month um, with PSVG head honcho Donnie Reese will be our guest for that. But with that, Josh and I have each created a list of topics. Uh, we have not shared them with one another. And the only rule is that topics cannot be gaming related. So please indulge us as we give you a short preview of what Bored With Everything will be like. We're not going to do this for super long because we're, you know, already a solid amount of time into the show. But Josh, first topic you'd like to bring to the table, sir. So I didn't want to waste any topics. <laughs> So I was like, what do I bring to this? That Why do you think it's going to be a waste? I don't think it's going to necessarily be a waste, but uh, I was like, we should. I wanted to save them for the show, but that's okay. I support your vision. That's what I'm here for. Um, I was so I don't know if this is universal to me and my our seasons. I know some people out there don't have seasons like we do, um, but for us, it's fair season right now. And I, mm. I was curious um, if and what fairs you do, if you have a fair season, um, what what your participation in that is and and or acknowledgement of fairs around you. So, like, we have King Richard's Fair around here, mm -hmm. which I've never been to, um, but we, we might want to take our son to this year because... We've kind of heard, you know, it's just kind of a spectacle for everyone, kids and adults. Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe not our kid, maybe just go, my wife and I. Uh, but the big one that we go to every year, it's called the Big E. It stands for the Eastern States Exposition. And uh, 
It is. It takes place in Springfield or, or Aguam, Massachusetts, and it's just this giant fairground. They have concerts like mm-hmm. Hootie and the Blowfish and weird like people who can't perform in concert venues anymore come. Um, they have Sesame Street live there this year. That int- traveling Nintendo Switch right. thing's going to be there. Um, but the big draw to the biggie besides like our fair food, which is basically deep fried food that mm-hmm, will kill you mm-hmm. if you have too much of it is they have um, these state houses uh, here um, that represent the Eastern States. So there's Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Hampshire. And you go it in. It sounds like, it sounds like Epcot, but States. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you go into okay. each of these houses and it's basically uh, when you go in, it's just everything that state has to offer food-wise, pretty much. Uh, sometimes beverage-wise, like Vermont has Otter Creek, which is their brewery up there. Um, and some, like Sam Adams obviously represents mm-hmm. Massachusetts. Uh, cran- you know, Massachusetts has cranberries and raspberries. Maine has a two-hour-long line for baked potatoes, which is something they're very popular for. Uh, as well as lobster rolls, you can go get a eight dollar lobster roll, which is very appealing since it's normally twenty plus dollars for lobster rolls. Um, you know everything. You get maple maple syrup uh, in Vermont, maple candies in Vermont, maple cotton candy. Uh, it's just a great time. It's fun to walk around and check out all these shops as well. But that's like kind of like we also have like every town around where I live, they have their own weekend for a fair or a festival. So these are all options we have. And we have like the local ski resort has fests every weekend, like Apple Mm -hmm. Fest, Far and Fresh Fest, Oktoberfest. We're like in the thick of those um, seasons. So we, you know, we can't get to all of them. And we certainly can't afford to go to all of them, (laughs) but uh, it is always fun to go out there and experience that. Do you guys have a fast fair season and do you participate at all? So first thing, Mm. I didn't realize uh, cranberries were a Massachusetts thing. Oh yeah, big, big time. So because here's the interesting thing, because do you know the largest producing cranberry state no, I don't. <laughs> it's it's Wisconsin, really, and was yeah, and Wisconsin produces it's. I think it's more than twice as many cranberries as any other state. You would think so that they weren't cool. hospitable to cranberries. <laughs> so super cool that you guys celebrate being number two at something. That's awesome. Because um, when you said that, I was so shocked because cranberries are such a Wisconsin thing. It's so prevalent there. And I was just, I just always thought of, you know, it's kind of like Illinois and pumpkins. Well, but anyway. Yeah, we don't, I don't brag about the baked beans. So <laughs> I think it's the cranberries. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, fairs are a big thing here for sure. I didn't know exactly where you were going with this if because it's kind of like Renaissance Festival time too. Oh, yeah. So I didn't know if you were going there with this or where we were going to go. But the Renaissance in... Fair. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, fairs are big in the upper Midwest, if you would. Uh, the Iowa State Fair is basically a state holiday. 
Um, it's pretty ridiculous. I have coworkers that I've worked with in the past um, who take the entire Iowa State Fair off and they go stay at the campgrounds and they go every single day. Um, it's huge. Uh, the Minnesota State Fair, when I lived in Minnesota, it's called the Great Minnesota Get Together, which I think is very <laughs> sweet and wholesome. Um, and it's great. You know, I, I have only been to the Iowa State Fair once. And the Minnesota State Fair I went to a lot, but I think that's partially because I, I grew up there and I went started going often as a high schooler. And then when I was in college, I was still in Minnesota, so we'd make the trip and I wasn't too far away and all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, definitely I, I enjoy the fair aspect. I think there's just something kind of wholesome to it sometimes because you go and I don't know exactly what your fairs are like. Sounds a little different than ours that, <laughs> you know, we have the animal shows and people yeah. can win ribbons for their animals and they have all the food baking contests and all the art contests that people win ribbons for. And I just like walking around and seeing that stuff. I think it's really cool that people have these hobbies and these things they're passionate about uh, and they can put those on display. And yes, obviously there's the concerts and, you know, the destruction the demo derbies and the big trucks pulling <laughs> things and all that stuff which is very cool uh but yeah i'm a fan of fairs and we definitely they're very prevalent here county fairs for every county is big and then obviously uh the iowa state fair and stuff like that is big i don't plan my whole schedule around it you know like i said if if i don't get there i don't get there but when i have the opportunity um especially when i lived in minnesota i went to the minnesota state fair regularly um but yeah fairs are good i like fairs fairs are fun yeah, the the biggie has all the animal stuff like the horses, the cows, mm-hmm. sheep, the competitions. Um, I'm taking I'm taking a personal day next week. We're gonna go uh, with the family, take the little kiddo. It it runs for about two and a half weeks, so it's a pretty long, uh, whatever you want to call it, exposition. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and then they use the same space. My wife goes up there for an equine affair, which is the big horse competition that's over two days so Mm -hmm. um yeah that's what we do when it's fall here all right fairs fairs. that's great you picked a very uh a very fun topic (laughs) my topic's gonna be a little less fun josh Uh so i'm gonna talk about this in the context of one sport but i think there are other sports that this could easily um be applicable to Okay, but I'm going to talk about it in terms of football. Okay. So, I think there is now a decent amount of research. I know some people disagree with this, but I think if you really dig into the research that's there, there is a decent amount, I would probably even say a significant amount or a um, amount that you cannot ignore, that says playing football is not good for you. Yeah. It, it, is, it is bad for you, right? Yeah. Like. Yep. It is it is not good for your livelihood, for your well, it might be financially, but for your lifespan, for your health, overall, for most people, it is going to be more detrimental than helpful, right? Mm-hmm. I understand the stay being competitive, being a thing you're passionate about, a thing that you live for, a thing that um, your life seems less worthwhile without it. I understand that from a athlete perspective or from a participant perspective i understand and i'm not saying they shouldn't choose to compete okay do we though as fans who watch is there a moral gray area about whether or not we should be supporting something like this that we know actively reduces the vibrancy of someone's life later in their years for our enjoyment okay 
That's a great question. I would also lump in boxing into that category. Oh, yeah. I And I'm a big MMA fan. So yeah. I think, like I said, there's a number of yeah. things that can go in here. And that's one of the reasons I stopped watching mixed martial arts for a couple of years. Because I was wrestling with whether or not um, I should be watching it. It's tricky, right? So here's the thing. So for for your football, for the football um, part of that, like, it's a very, it's not a far leap to compare it to gladiator combat where mm-hmm. you're doing this for entertainment the biggest difference is gladiators weren't doing it willingly correct so you can stop watching football you certainly can lots of people have especially yep. with the cte stuff coming out a lot of people have stopped i'll never let my son play football i played football in high school Mm-hmm. You know, you, that was just, there were literally drills where I stood across from someone, grabbed their shoulder pads, and we smashed our heads into each other Correct for 30 solid seconds. That was a drill, just so you would get used to hitting your head. That was something we did before every game. It was insane. And you don't always get matched up with someone your size. <laughs> um, but these players are doing it willingly. So... Here's what you're, you're voting with your wallet, essentially. Mm -hmm. But you're also now, you not watching football because of your stance on CTEs is now affecting their quality of life as far as financially. Right. So if you stop watching football and they Uh lose their job and they went through all of this, this college football program we have, this high school Mm -hmm. football program we have, where we let these athletes get by without having an education. Now you have hundreds of athletes who cannot contribute to the American workplace because Mm -hmm. they don't have a skill outside of football. Now I also understand not every player makes it into the NFL. So they're also taking that risk, but us as a country, we're also rewarding the most talented players by not (laughs) making them get an education so that they can play. It's a really messy cobweb or loom of strings that once you pull one, it could fracture this whole system of terrible things. They're not all great things. Like We shouldn't be rewarding athletes um, with free educations because you're really crippling them after their football career is over. But mm-hmm. I don't know that they're... The solution should be making football safer, not stopping to watch football. And I understand that comes with frustrations because all you have to do is listen to a football fan complain about all the new rules. Right. Uh, or the inconsistency in rules. That's another problem. You can't, mm-hmm. you, you, if you're trying to protect players, <clears throat> your, your penalties need to be consistent. And we don't have referees good enough to do that right? yet. Right. So, so I guess what I would say to you guys. If we can eliminate uh, sports betting and we can eliminate corruption in sports and we can eliminate players refusing to play football because they can't wear their old helmet and uh, just a few of these things, I think it would be easier to watch football and more uh, controllable uh, for CTE issues. But we are a country, we are a world full of people who like to watch violence for entertainment mm-hmm. will never 
be watching something that is safe for every participant. Right. And I, I agree with that. And I think there are definitely people who are very passionate on the other side about this. If you talk to Coach Mo, for instance, he very much talks about how there is a right way to play football and there's a right way to teach football. Yeah. And that, yeah, we probably didn't do it the right way back in the day. Um, and I think for me, it, it, I, I understand that argument and I, I don't, I'm not dismissive of it in any way. I think for me, I struggle with the idea that um, how do I feel about people putting, you know, themselves up and I get that it's their choice, that they choose to do that, that they're opting in to the risk. I 100% understand. It doesn't mean it doesn't cause some cognitive dissonance in my head still, you know? Um, and I, like I said, I stopped watching mixed martial arts for a long time because of the same thing. There is a mixed martial arts event this weekend. Um, Bellator had an event on Saturday night after the UFC's big pay-per-view on Saturday afternoon in Abu Dhabi, which is a whole different thing we could talk about and the the... The things that are just weird there. But uh, Bellator does this thing where they fill their prelim card and they even do post-limbs, which after the main event, they still have additional fights, all filled with local fighters to try to kind of fill up the venue. And on the fifth post-limb, so the main event happened. Most people have probably left. We're five fights later, after the main event. Uh, a fighter threw a leg kick that got checked and just snapped his leg right in half. Oh my God. You know, and <laughs> it's kind of the, what are we even doing here? Like, why is this even happening at this point? And obviously a broken leg can be fixed and healed and mended. I understand that. But you don't want to see that. <laughs> no. And it's, and you know, that's not, you know, Corey, that happened to Corey Hill. It happened to Anderson Silva and you know, their leg turns out in a 90, it's rough and it's, it's tough. Um, those things happen in sports, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's the cognitive dissonance I, I still have in my head about it is, um, you know, should I be supporting these people and pursuing other things? And I just think about how I think of like Andrew Luck retiring yeah. and getting booed off the field because he doesn't have the passion for it anymore. So he wants to go do something that's going to be better for him. Yeah, but so meanwhile, he's not sec- meanwhile, Gronkowski didn't get booed for retiring because the NFL won't allow CBD. Right, right. <laughs> and, like, just gets booed off the field because of injury and rehab, and he doesn't want to do it anymore. And people are upset about that? He's in rough I shape. Should... He could he could be the next Wes Welker if you keep him on the football field. He wouldn't know where so, he was in a week. Yeah, so that's just kind of the stuff I struggle with and, and, and struggle with as – fans of athletes do we always actually have their best interests in mind and should is it our responsibility to i guess too is the question i feel like maybe it is but i feel like a lot of sports fans you know they bought tickets to a colts game <laughs> look at oj you know? simpson's twitter you can tell people don't have the athlete's best yeah. interests in mind <laughs> very very true very very true all right josh we're going to do, let's each do one more topic real quick. So just think of something fast, quick that you want to go through. And we'll go through them and then call it a show after a couple of emails. What's your next topic? Well, mine will be quick because it's actually a pitch for a, a future idea. Excellent. And I want to, it's kind of like free advertising for other people. But I kind of thought it would be cool to do Pitch Your Podcast where we Ooh. go through our list of subscribed podcasts and maybe... Like two, we do two podcasts every board with everything, and we try to sell each other on why we should be listening to each other's podcasts. 
And so it's just bored with everything and bored with video games are like the only two podcasts we talk about over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in a perfect world, that's all that anyone <laughs> would listen to. No, so like if I like pulled up, like I have two different podcast apps because um, I use Stitcher Premium and then I use Pocket Cast because I like mm-hmm. different things. But like if I pulled up my podcast from Stitcher, I have Comedy Bang Bang. Uh, the Try Guys podcast, Boom Time with Flula Borg, Dumb People Town, Bored with Video Games, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, The Good Place, the podcast, Serial, How Did This Get Made, PSVG, um, Spontanea Nation, special, with special guests Lauren Lapkus, Hollywood Handbook, Improv for Humans, Wild Horses, Freedom, Raised by TV, that's all just on... Um, Stitcher, and that's all just what I put back on after my summer break because I had to delete all my podcasts because mm-hmm. I wasn't caught up. Like, that's just that list. So, like, me trying to convince you and our guests or even just talk to you guys about, like, um, my favorite murder. Like, why would you want to listen to my favorite murder? And, like, trying to pitch that. I thought that might not be a bad idea. It could be potentially interesting and turn other people on to other podcasts. Like, I don't think we've typically talked about other podcasts on our podcast. Gotcha. It's also a How Did This Get Played podcast with Heather and Gamble where they play old bad video games and just like destroy them <laughs> verbally. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. No, that sounds like a great thing. Um, my next topic, very quickly. You might need to Google real quick, unless you just know off the top of your head. Um, what is Ready. your favorite movie oh. of 1999? <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> so the reason I picked 1999, A, it's year I graduated high school. B, it's a year that when you look back on it, it's actually full of a ton of brilliant movies. You said 99? Um, there's actually a 99. Okay. So there was actually a book released recently that I'm forgetting the name of it that <laughs> just talks about the importance of movies of 1999. Um, and dear listener, just an example of some movies that came out that year. The Matrix, Fight Club, American Beauty, Being John Malkovich, Sixth Sense, uh, The Blair Witch Project, Three Kings, Magnolia, The Insider, Eyes Wide Shut, Boys Don't Cry, which is potentially problematic these days, but at the time <laughs> was important. Um, and then if you go into like Office Space, American Pie, uh, The Talented Mr. Ripley, which is a way underrated movie, uh, The Green Mile, The Iron Giant, Ten Things I Hate About You, The Mummy, Virgin Suicides. This year was bonkers when you look back on it. And maybe from a box office perspective, did not do gangbusters, but from a dogma came out that year, The Limey, just movies that when you think of their influence on film today, um, was a really, really important year. Josh, if you had to pick. Oh, there's so many good movies. I know, right? What would be Deep Blue Sea, even, if you want to get campy. There's 3,879 <laughs> titles. I know. I just gave you a whole list of I went 1 through 50. <laughs> so, if you had to pick, sir, real quick, off, off the cuff, and maybe this will be an actual in-depth topic later, what would you say your favorite movie of 1999 is? Well, I can tell you this. Two of my least favorite movies came out in 1999. What's that? Um, the Ninth Gate, starring Johnny Ooh. Depp. That was rough, yes. And this will be a surprise to some people, but not anyone who worked with me at Best Buy. Galaxy Quest is also a <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, the, my favorite. Uh, there's a really underrated, there's a very 
a very highly underrated movie on here uh, called The 13th Warrior mm-hmm. uh, with Antonio Banderas. That's probably my favorite cult film. Oh, mate, that's one of my favorite cult films on this list, followed up by Boondock Saints. But to be 100% honest with you, uh, even though The Matrix and Blair Witch Project are on this list, I think mm-hmm. The Virgin Suicides might be my favorite movie on this list uh, that I'm looking at. Right. And that's the hard part is there's a lot of really good. Virgin Suicides is very good. Uh, I think Being John Malkovich is an amazing movie. Great movie. I, uh, I think, though, if I had to pick one, I might pick either Election or The Iron Giant. One of those two, I think, would probably be my favorite. Because there's so many good movies from that year. And I don't know what it is about that year. But, man, oh, goodness. Um, it's super great. And like I said, maybe this will be a full-on topic one other time. But if you've never seen Election, dear listener, I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, it is it is good good stuff. Reese Witherspoon, Matthew Broderick, Chris Klein. Ugh, it is amazing. Have you seen Election? Yeah. You didn't like it? No, I I wasn't a fan of Election, but uh, I feel like it. I might it might be more of my sense of humor now. Okay. Than when it was when it came out. Uh, I just I did not enjoy that film. It the way. In the time that it came out, the, like I, in the context, and I will say I didn't see it until probably geez twenty ten twenty twelve. Like I did not see it when it came out. I saw it much 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 later. Um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty brilliant. I should say, <laughs> uh, I can't say it. So close. I have to look up Bruce Campbell movies that came out in ninety nine. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> and. He was busy on Hercules and Xena. He wasn't from Dusk Till Dawn 2, but that does not make the list of no, it does not. <laughs> best no, it movies. Does not. He was also in one of my favorite X-Files episodes in 1999. Excellent. Yeah. So, all right. Well, hey, listener, that is a brief glimpse of what Bored With Everything will be like. Just bouncing back and forth, topic to topic, going through everything. Some things might take five minutes. Some things might take 50. Uh, probably not 50, but maybe <laughs> 25. Uh, and that is kind of the way that that show will work. So there's a brief preview of it. If you'd like to be or get the chance to hear that first episode, make sure you become a patron over at psvg.com slash Patreon. Uh, with that, Josh, we do have a couple emails slash questions from our listeners. Why don't you take us through those? Okay, so Donnie at Play Nintendo via, well, who knows, because he uses Play Nintendo for all of his handles. So this could I think have been a Twitter. Discord or Twitter. Twitter. He says in all caps, can you just talk about, and all caps, The Last of Us 2 for two hours? Please. I'm so mad I read it that way. Uh, no, we can't. Uh, Kevin Austin at PSVG Kevin. You, I wanted to, but <laughs> but I was vetoed, yeah. so sorry. Moving on. Uh, Kevin says, probably won't get this in time. We did. Uh, but I want you to give your picks for next villainous expansion and how they would play. Well, Kyle, each villainous expansion so far has had three Disney villains. Yeah. In each pack. So, if you need a minute, I'll go first. I do need... Do you, can, who, man, I'm trying to remember who all of them are, because I don't have either of the expansions. Okay, I have them right next to me. Okay, perfect. I could probably tell them by memory, but I'm just going to do them because they're right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Evil to the Wicked to the Core expansion, we had Hades, mm-hmm. Dr. Facilier, 
from mm-hmm. Princess and the Frog, and the Evil Queen. Mm-hmm. And then from Evil Comes Prepared, we mm-hmm. had Radigan, mm-hmm. who is from The Great Mouse Detective. Yep. Scar and Isma. Isma is from The Emperor's New Groove. Okay. Who was someone I was really looking forward to. And then we have the original Captain Hook. Yep. Maleficent. Yada yada. Jafar. So for me, I know this is a double. Um, James Woods, who maybe probably. Oh no, actually, this is an even more problematic actor. Uh, the first one I would pick was would be Hopper from A Bug's Life, who was Kevin Spacey. Oh, <laughs> that's a little uh, problematic, but okay. <laughs> but if they can put it in Hades, they can put it in Hopper. Uh, I feel like that that's like a natural fit. Uh, here's the thing: so when you add these villains into villainous, the villain is important, but the supporting cards are equally, if not more important, than the villain. So you need to have a good roster of heroes to back up the villain because you're playing heroes against that villain. So mm-hmm. you have to have a good you have to have a good roster of of characters. Um, I don't necessarily know how he would play. Uh, that's why they're good at making this game, and I'm and not. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know that I can answer Kevin's question on how they how they would be like incorporated into how they play. But I feel like a Hopper's like primed for the theme of like how they've been adding villains. I think mm-hmm. he would work in very well. Um, another villain I think would be great um, is Shere Khan from oh, the Jungle yeah, yeah. Book. Because you also have a good supporting villains roles like Ka could also support and even mm-hmm. King Louis could represent both sides. Um, but I think you have a great roster of characters um, in that game. Maybe like Shere Khan for Jungle Book is like I don't know, burn down most of the jungle or something like mm-hmm. I, I don't really know because you have to think of locations and it has to be somewhere like Shere Khan and or Ka could be at all times. So right. that could work out well. Um, and I think I think it would be really fun to throw Gaston in as a villain uh, where his, if you wanted to play him out, it's him in different locations hunting down the beast uh-huh. and you as Belle or the beast or the enchanted uh, items trying to thwart him from capturing the beast. Mm-hmm. It may be similar to like Jafar has to get the genie's lamp in the cave of wonders. Maybe you have to, like, for Gaston to win, he has to defeat the beast at the beast castle to win the game. Right. Um, but that's really that's really not being original in the way the character works and borrowing mm-hmm. from another villain, which is, I think is why it was easy for me to figure out how he would play. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for me, it would be better if I couldn't figure out how the villains played. Right. Um, but yeah. being able to come up with those those three would be ones I would I think would be good additions. I think for me, uh, one that I think would be interesting, and I don't know how this would work because, like you said, it's hard because they typically have to have some sort of supporting characters with them. Yeah. And most of the villains that I think of are very much, at least at the end of the movies, on their own. But maybe there's some things you could do with the characters earlier. But one, I think, this might be a stretch. I think if you had Hans from Frozen and turned it into a bluffing game where people don't know if you're lying or not. (laughs) 
So you're playing cards and you are like, oh yeah, this card does this. And people can call you out to be like, no, that card doesn't do that. And you're like, oh yes, it does. And then you get this extra benefit if it does. So turning into some sort of bluffing game that you're playing, because you know Hans, that's the way he was. Um, and I don't, I don't know what the winning condition. Obviously, because you wouldn't, he can't make things frozen, so that really wouldn't work to like freeze over other places. But as, I think it'd be cool to have him in there and add some sort of bluffing element. Uh, the other person I thought of was Governor Ratcliffe. Yes, and I think that Governor Ratcliffe could be done in a couple different ways. I think there's the possibility. I, I you don't want to go. I think too close to what Prince John has, where, where he is just trying to uh, uh, get as much money as he can or power as he can. Uh, but I think if you did something where you, and this isn't fun to play against, so this is where I'm <laughs> hesitant. But some sort of like resource stealing resources from other people. Yeah, where he he was able to mess with and take cards or power or whatever from other people. Um, because that's essentially what he's doing in the movie. Um, and I think there's a good supporting cast. I, I, I really just want to play, um, as like flit and things like yeah. that and Percy and all those things. I think that would be really fun. Um, uh, but I think having him as a villain would be really cool and, and kind of doing that, um, stealing resources and things like that, I think would be a cool way to incorporate it. I don't know exactly what the win condition would be. Um, but some sort of interaction like with like that, I think would be cool. Cool. So, those are my two. You only got two? I only have two. Okay. Uh, special mention for uh, the Chernabog from Fantasia. I just have no idea how he would even play, but he would be an he awesome ge- character. <laughs> he was actually going to be my other one, but yeah, I had no idea what I would have him do other than look really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know what he would do. So. I think awesome. uh, Mother Gothel from Tangled and... Um, uh, Sean Yu from Mulan, I think, are also good uh, like backups I had, uh, which mm. will probably make it into the games at some point. I would think so, too. All right. Well, hey, listeners, thank you so much for the questions. We greatly appreciate them. With that, we are going to wrap this show up and leave you with a well-rounded life recommendation, something we're into outside of the world of gaming that's helping us live that balanced life. Josh, what is your recommendation this week? So I didn't fill mine in because it's a cheat. That's fine. Cheat away. Uh, my recommendation for a well-rounded life is the game Control. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not going to spoil anything. Um, and I was really, I was really looking for a way to give this away to somebody, but I just, I just can't right now. But be prepared for a Control giveaway at some point. Uh, I really feel like this is a game everyone should play. Uh... Just like people think I should play platformers, like mm-hmm. I feel like this might not be the style of game that everyone enjoys, uh, but I feel like this is this is the exception game. Like if you don't like this style of game, what would you call it? Action adventure? A third person action. Yeah, like it, like this might be the game that wins you over. Like people complain about my favorite game, Horizon Zero Dawn, that it's a little boring for them. I don't know that this game ever falls into that category. Uh, maybe after Endgame. <laughs> like, maybe you're fine. I don't know that I ever found it to be repetitious as far as environments. Even when I had to go backtrack, things were kind of sort of different in a way. Uh, I really uh, could talk about this game for a long time. <laughs> and I will try not to next week. 
but this is something that if you're on the fence on this game, like you're like, you think you might like it, please take what I'm saying to you right now to push you over that line. Get this game. And get this game before the video game season gets too busy for you. Get this game where you have time to play it because we're just about to jump into this like cluster of games. We're already kind of in the middle of a cluster of games, but we're going to get more and more games through the holidays. And like, I would really hate to see this game go underplayed. Yeah. It uh, has one of the coolest sequences in a game I've played in a really, really long time. Yeah. I mean, I tweeted about it. I'm glad that you agree. Cause I yeah. was like, I'm wondering if I'm in my own hype zone on nope. this, but I will say this. <laughs> to that note, it has one of the coolest things I've ever done in a game, followed by one of the most frustrating <laughs> things I've ever done in a game. <laughs> there is a part that is very challenging. Like immediately probably, after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is a little challenging. Uh, but yeah, uh, I can't say enough good things about it. I can't wait to talk more in depth about it next week without, hopefully, hopefully without spoiling it. I'm actually still playing it. Uh, I was tempted to pick Gears back up, but I think I'm really just going to wait for them to figure out what the heck is going on with that game. So I'm doing a bunch more um, side missions I didn't complete in Control. Are you going to get that Platinum? Uh, You know, I'm not setting out to get it. If I get it, great. But right now I'm just... I kind of just want to finish these loose ends up because I'm still enjoying doing it. Mm-hmm. Although I did find out, I did find that I ran into a bug that I guess they just patched where something wasn't popping up where it was supposed to for me. Oh, gotcha. And that I kept going back to and nothing was happening. And I was like, I think I did it wrong. Ah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, enough about control for now. Well, really briefly, they did release their roadmap of DLC. And luckily for you, good sir, we have the Digital Deluxe Edition. So you have all the uh, DLC coming to you. Well, hopefully it works better than Spider-Man, where I didn't get any of the Digital Deluxe stuff. Well, you did. It was just, Spider-Man's DLC was just really weird in how you had to download the DLC. I still couldn't get it. Oh, really? Yeah, I tried. <laughs> hmm. Well, hopefully that don't have a problem That's with okay. That. okay. I would have no problem buying the DLC for this. Gotcha. All right. Uh, my recommendation is not cheating. Um, and that is <laughs> The Great British Baking Show is back. Oh, that That's is cheating. Right. How is it cheating? Because you mentioned it before. <laughs> no, it's not. It's a new season. The new season is back. Okay. And this is Netflix exploring, if you would, how they're releasing shows. One episode a week, every Friday. New episode of The Great British Baking Show. It releases, I believe, the same time that the show is airing over in the good old UK. Oh. Henceforth, why? so we're actually caught up in the US with where they are uh, in the UK. Nice. So... Love the show. It is back. I can't. Oh, man. It's such a good show. I love it so darn much. Highly recommend it. It's a great British baking show on Netflix. Feel free to watch the current season. And if you are new, go watch all the old seasons. Get caught up. It's such a good show. All right. Then with that, Josh, what do you say we wrap this show up? Yeah, I think we're due to wrap it up. Yeah, we're, we're going. <laughs> we're, lo- we're running. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, everyone. In addition to finding us on Twitter and Instagram at Board with VG, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Board with VG. So feel free to give us a five-star rating over there. Also, if you want to communicate in the more long form uh, or you're not feeling social media, please feel free to email us at boardwithvg at gmail.com. If you don't want me to talk about it on the show, please explicitly say that. Otherwise, I might mention your email like I did last week. Uh, we tag our stuff with hashtag board with VG. 
So please feel free to use that hashtag as well on all social media. Whatever podcast service you're listening to us on, we encourage you to give us a stellar rating. Beyond pause. That is whether you're downloading us from the PSVG feed. I put that in so you can't edit it out. Uh, the Dice yeah, Tower Network feed or the standalone board with video game feed. Uh, you can find me on PlayStation Network or Xbox Live at Why So Serious. That's S I R R I U S. Kyle, where can they find you? So you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, Board Game Geek, all at Psychocross, C-Y-C-O-C-R-O-S-S. Uh, be sure to check out the Twitter feed. Josh and I have tweeted out when we tried to play Gears 5, which <laughs> kind of worked and kind of didn't work. Um, but with Borderlands 3 right around the corner, I'm sure we'll be playing that some as well. So be on the lookout for those live streams if you want to join us for that. That'd be great. As always, if you have suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on the social media because we want to talk about what you want to hear about. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming.